never changes, uh, we can still sing it now because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts chapter number 17, Acts chapter 17. While you're turning there, let me mention something I forgot, and that is the fact that we've started something new, or actually something we've done before, but we've got a box, I believe it's out here, if I'm not mistaken, the care box, the Blue Star Moms, that's for our de deployed military men and women, and their next mailing will be on July the 21st, and so... Uh, see Susan Durham if you have any questions about that, but we certainly uh, want to respond to the needs of our men and women that are deployed, and a lot of times they get forgotten in all of this, and we surely don't want that to happen. Acts 17, beginning in verse number 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath in all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation." that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. I want you to pay close attention to verse number 26, where it says, And have made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. We so oftentimes create problems by using the word race in reference to different people when in reality there's only one race and that's the human race. And uh, notice here that God is the one that uh, has made all nations but notice it says in the last part that he determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. I don't know what uh, Pastor Robert Jeffress, he's the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, I don't know what he's going to be saying this morning, but I do know that he created quite a stir the other day whenever he... Uh, uh, he announced that he was going to be preaching a message called America is a Christian Nation. In fact, they erected two billboards there in the Dallas area, and it became so offensive to a lot of people, including the mayor of Dallas, they demanded that it be removed. Wow, how times have changed. It breaks my heart, uh, you know, to think uh, how our nation has changed even since I, I was a boy. And uh, many years ago, President Woodrow Wilson, uh, maybe you're thinking, well, yeah, but he's a Democrat. Yeah, but that wasn't the same thing back then as it is today either. 
and give him credit for being a Christian man. And President Woodrow Wilson said, quote, A nation which does not remember what it was yesterday, nor not know what it is today, nor what it is trying to do, we are trying to do a futile thing if we do not know where we came from or what we have been about. America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the tenets of righteousness which are derived from the revelations of the Holy Scriptures. Wow. Thank God for leaders that uh, speak in no uncertain terms about their convictions related to the Lord. The fact is, you can't talk intelligently about American history without talking about God. It's impossible. You know, that just might be the reason that we, uh, that we, you know, in our public school system, at least in a lot of places, uh, avoid teaching American history to any great extent because they want to leave the God factor out of it. But in this day when so many people want to divorce God from government, we do well to look back and see His guiding hand in the establishment of America. And I want to do that this morning, and I want you to consider four things. And first of all, that we listen to Woodrow Wilson and go back and to think about where we came from. To go back and to think for a moment about the founding of America. And, and there's no doubt about it that it was founded by people who were looking for religious freedom. On December the 26th of 1620, 103 brave souls landed at Plymouth on the Mayflower and they came searching for religious freedom. Listen to the proclamation of the Mayflower Compact. It says, quote, We have undertaken this little settlement of ours on wild and virgin shores of a strange land for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. I mean, that ought to remove all doubt as to the intent of our founders here in America. In that early colony, the very first public building erected was a church house where they assembled to worship God. Then in 1643, other people arrived and they formed what was called the New England Confederation. Listen to some of the words of their constitution that they formed. It says, whereas we all came into these parts with one and with the same end and aim, namely to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to enjoy the liberties of the gospel in purity and peace. So again, we have documentation proving that the original intent of our founding fathers was to establish a Christian nation for the purpose of preaching the gospel to others. So here we find a people in search of religious freedom in order that they might uh, do the will of God. Benjamin Franklin said, God governs in the affairs of men, and if a sparrow cannot fall on the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? Uh, the answer to that is easy. 
We just read that in our text here in the book of Acts. It's God who made all nations. And so we find that that a people coming here for the purpose of establishing a nation where they had the freedom to worship God and proclaim the gospel. And John Quincy Adams said, the highest glory of the American Revolution, now this is looking ahead to 1821, he said, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this, it connected in one indissoluble bond principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. So here we have an undeniable fact in our documents proving the intent of our founding fathers. The Declaration of Independence says, For the support of this declaration, we look with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. And all we have to do is to look back over the years and see that no other nation, no other nation has ever been blessed to the extent that America has. And certainly God did so. Why? Because we sought to honor Him. That was our original intent. Alexis de Torqueville, I believe is the way he pronounced it, uh, whenever he visited America in the 1830s, he said, Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Now, we could go on and on and on and spend literally hours looking at the documents and the early songs and even the curriculum that was used to teach children. And in all of these things, we see the God factor firmly engraved in the intent of our forefathers that America was to be a Christian nation. But then we have to consider the folly of America, the fact that America has departed from God and it's been, you know, it's been so drastic. I don't even know where to start. The other day I was sitting down and thinking about at this, at this point, what, what to say. Do I go back, you know, 50 years, basically, whenever I started preaching? Do I go back there? Or do I go back a hundred years? You know, a century sounds like a lot of time, but, but it's really not. I mean, you're just talking about a couple of generations and, you know, many of us here, our our grandparents, you know, lived back in the uh, 18-something. And our great-grandparents fought in the Civil War and what have you. I mean, it's not that long ago. But the change has been drastic. And our government has all but, for in all practical purposes, impeached God. Our schools have expelled God. They've removed the Bible. They've removed prayer from the school. And uh, you say, well, yeah, but th that's not the place for them to go, you know, learn about the Bible. Well, where's a bad place to learn about the Bible? Well, let's say they're going to maintain neutrality. Let's say they're not going to teach anything that would sway kids one way or the other. Then you answer me this. Why is it that instead of the Bible, they've given them a huge and a fatal dose of humanism and the theory of evolution? You see, they're not content with just to leave the Bible out of the equation. They've, they've injected their false theories into it. 
And, and we're paying a price for that today. We think about our Ivy League schools, Harvard and Yale and all of the Ivy League schools. Those were started as religious colleges. And you look at their founding documents and you'll see that they say basically, in essence, the same thing our founding fathers did. It was to give glory to God and to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And they've turned into hellholes of modernistic thought, humanistic philosophy. Our courtrooms have legalized things that God clearly condemns, whether, you know, whether it's abortion or same-sex marriage or whatever it is. Our courts have legalized that. Just took God out of the picture. Our society is flaunting its rebellion in the face of God. And we're supposed to stand back and not say anything about it. We're, we're accused of being uh, hateful Christian people all because we want to stand up and proclaim what the Word of God teaches, you see. Let me tell you, when is it, since when is it doing someone a favor when we deceive them and hold back the truth that sin damns people? And whenever someone, when someone is enslaved to sin, we would be fools to just stand up and pat them on the back and say, well, you know, one, one belief is just as good as another. You're just, you know, you're just fine. God loves everybody. You know, you don't have anything to worry about. No, they need to hear the truth. And this has created a huge divide in America. Now, make no mistake about it. There's always been differences of opinion in America. But there's never been such hatred as what we see today. Whenever I say hatred, I'm not talking about in the general population, even though it's there. I'm talking about those lawmakers and legislators and those that are supposed to be leaders and the bitterness and the hatred that is coming from them. And I'm just amazed at the level to which some people have stooped, how that people holding office, elected office, can say some of the things that, that, that they're saying. I mean, whenever you hear some of them literally say something to the effect that they hope the son's uh, the, the, the president's son uh, is molested or something, that's sick. That's sick. And whenever you have people in elected office calling, calling for, for people to literally to stand up in opposition, as one said, we have to, Michael Moore, I believe, certainly not a leader, but he's the one that said something to the effect that we have to put our bodies on the line. I'm telling you, there are those that are calling for violence. And I, this week I sat down and I started to write a whole article about it because in 2007 I wrote an article about will there be another civil war. That was 11 years ago whenever I wrote that article. You know, I hadn't heard a whole lot about that till the last year or so. Now the New Yorker and other major publications have recently even, they published articles they even have helped think tanks with supposedly the most brilliant experts and professionals on this subject. And they've sat down and looked at all of the factors. And they, they say that without a doubt in the next 15 years or something, that there's at least a 35% chance there will be civil war in America. 
Now, you say, well, preacher, you don't really believe, you don't really believe that could happen, do you? Well, I don't know. But the fact that we at this time in our history are even talking about having another civil war tells us we've got a serious problem in America. The folly of America has been put on display to the point that we have degenerated and, and divided as a nation to the point that there are people literally ready to take up arms against their neighbors. You say, well, this is so depressing. Well, would you rather I just get up here and say Mary had a little lamb, his fleece was white as snow, and have the benediction and go, what? how's that going to help anyone? We need to consider where we are at this time in American history, because we need to understand that there is a fight going on for America. A battle for America is taking place. And, and let me tell you, it seems like the wrong side is winning. You look at those that embrace traditional values, and then you look at the, at the other side that's doing everything they can to squelch our voice, everything they can to destroy our, our message, and they're more vocal about it than we are. To our shame, I say that. And so here we are at the same time trying to wage war on terrorism with hostile countries, and we're in this warfare trying to decide who is going to control America. And if ever there was a time that we need to be concerned about it, it's today. Because if something doesn't change, let me tell you, it's going to get worse than better. And I don't think most people understand how serious it is. I don't think they understand how bad things can get or how fast it can happen. Now, you say, but preacher, we try to shelter our kids from such bad news as this. You know, we want, you know, we want them to think the whole world is right. But let me tell you, your kids need to know the truth. It doesn't do them any good to pretend that all is well by hiding the truth. They need to know that sin is bad. They need to know that. They need to understand that. They need to realize that life is hard and they need to expect it. Death is certain. They better prepare for it. Judgment is coming. They better know about it. Hell is real and they need to be warned about it. Our nation is troubled and they need to understand that because God alone can meet our needs and we need to help them to understand that's where our hope is. Because believe me, it's just a matter of time until they come to realize that our country is divided and in trouble. And if they don't have a firm foundation that's rooted and grounded in knowing Christ as their Savior, they're not going to see the slightest ray of hope. Well, that brings us down to the future of America. I'm certainly not a prophet. I have uh, I have no idea. I can't tell you what's going to happen tomorrow in my own life, let alone concerning the future of our nation. But I can know some things about the future, and so can you. By simply looking in the Bible, you see there's a law of cause and effect. And we can look at what God's Word says and we can come to the conclusion that if we do this, you know, we'll get that. 
Over in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14 and verse 34, it says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Psalms 9, verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all nations that forget God. And only a fool would say that America has not forgot God, because for the most part we have. Psalms 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That's why Woodrow Wilson went on to say, Our civilization cannot survive materially unless it is redeemed spiritually. He said a lot more than that, but I'll just stop there because that's enough. He was smart enough to realize that our survival depends upon upon our attitude toward God and our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the solution to America's dilemma, the hope for America, uh, is found in repentance. Go, Go back to Acts chapter number 17 again, and I want you to notice carefully what he says in verse number, in verse number 27, if they should seek the Lord, notice, if they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. Now look at verse 30. And at the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now, based on the Scriptures that I've just read and and many other Scriptures... it's obvious that without a turning back to God, there's no end to our present problems, and there is no hope, no bright hope for tomorrow. Because we either repent or we perish. Because it's not going to stay the same. God's not a liar, and if God says righteousness exalts a nation, that is, lifts it up. If it's the thing that makes a nation strong, without righteousness, we grow weak, and eventually, we shall perish. Well, a lot of folks not worried about it. They're not worried because, you know, we look around and we continue to, we continue to prosper. Boy, we do. It's amazing what God has done just recently. I'll leave it at that. Although, uh, although nobody seems to get any credit for it, we look at what's happened recently since the last election, and it's been an amazing turnaround that we've witnessed. So we continue to we continue to prosper, and we think, you know, well, everything's all right. We look at our nation and Floyd Mayweather buys a $7 million wristwatch. What's the girl singer can't sing? It's Taylor Swift. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she has $84 million in property, not counting all of her money. Just eighty-four million in property. Now I'm just using those as examples because they popped up on the computer screen recently. But it goes on. No, we think about the entertainers and the athletes and all of these people making all of that money. Where are they getting it? Out of your pocket. We pay them. 
We're literally paying them what they've got because we enjoy, well, some people enjoy what they do. So we pay them the money to do it. So, you know, we look around as a nation and we say, well, I got a raise last week. I've got money in the bank. Everything's going good. Um, You know, so what have I got to worry about? Preacher gets up on Sunday morning, preaches a scorching message about how sinful our society is, but we seem to be getting away with it. Well, that's kind of the way it was whenever I was a boy, and you know, I could somewhat, when I got a certain age, run roughshod over mom, get away with anything. But when daddy got home, it was payday. Yeah, everything changed then. And let me tell you, there's a payday someday, folks. I don't know where it is. I don't know how rapid the, the, the collapse will be in America. I just know that we cannot flaunt our rebellion in the face of God and expect God to just sit back and not do anything. God's been patient with America. But I'll tell you, there is a hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. And whenever we cross that line, wherever it is, when we cross that line, folks, there's no hope. There's no turning back then. The wise thing for us to do is what Isaiah said, and even what we see here in our text this morning about seeking God. Isaiah said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. You see, we got this idea that we can come to God on our terms. You know, we don't need God, we don't want God, but whenever I get on my deathbed, you know, then I'll, you know, then I'll get everything, make everything right with God. Well, maybe you will, maybe you won't. You don't know that. You don't come to God on your terms. You come to God on His terms, and I'm telling you, You can reach the place in your life where you get to your deathbed. It may be that you have no interest in turning to God. It might be that you don't get to your deathbed per se, but rather that you die suddenly in a moment that you didn't expect and there's no chance to turn to God. And that's why he's saying here, and he speaks here in the context that God established these nations. He sets the bounds of their habitation. He is the one that set the appointed time for them to be raised up and for them to be brought down. He's in control of the whole thing. But notice it says there in verse 30 that he commands all men everywhere to repent. You see, nothing is going to change for the better nationally unless it happens individually. So many times we want a better nation, but we don't want to be a better people. You know, we just want to make laws, and you know, enact laws that will hamstring people and keep them from their pleasures and so forth. But we don't want to change our conduct. We want a safer society, but we don't want to change our behavior, you see. And I'm telling you, the nation can't change for the better unless we as a people change. And the most important thing that any Christian can do is to win somebody else to Jesus Christ. Because nations change only one person at a time. Now, I know you might look at it logistically and you might say to yourself, yeah, but we're in such a minority, I don't think we can ever win enough that we'll be in the majority. Maybe we don't have to. 
Maybe we don't have to get in the majority. Remember whenever, whenever God told Abraham, he said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's thinking, oh, no, Lot and his family, you know, I've got relatives there. And he begins to plead with God. And he said, Lord, you know, if I can find ten righteous souls... He started out lower than that, but he finally got to ten. He's pushing the envelope the best he can. If I can find ten righteous souls, will you spare the city? And God said, for the sake of ten righteous souls, I'll spare the city. Now think about that for a little while. I don't know what the number would have to be for God to say, I will spare America. But I'm telling you, I believe with all of my heart the purpose of our nation was to bring honor and glory to Christ and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been used of God unlike any nation that has ever existed through sending missionaries out into all of the world. And I'm telling you, there is a line somewhere that only God knows where that when we get to the point that we can no longer be that bright light of gospel witness to the world there will be no reason for our existence any longer. The same God that raised us up can bring us down. And as Christian people, the best contribution that we can make would be to win our neighbor to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never been saved, let me tell you, the most important thing for you is to not make America a better place to live Maybe I should say, not to make America a better place for you to die from and end up spending eternity in the lake of fire. Your great need is, is spiritual, and it's to have a relationship with God that can only come through you accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And again, maybe you think, well, preacher, I... You know, I, you must really have a low opinion of me. I, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I'm really not that bad. Oh, yeah, you're worse than you think you are. Amen. You're worse than I could possibly tell you. I, I don't have words to describe how bad, how rotten, how vile, how sinful you are. I, I, I can't even begin to express it. And every person is that way by nature. You might be a wonderful neighbor. You might be a good worker. You might be a good parent. But I'm telling you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a lost sinner and will spend eternity in a devil's hell. Your only hope this morning is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Isn't it amazing we look back and we think about all of this political correctness today? My, our, our founding fathers would give these modern politicians a heart attack. They just come out and boldly declare that Jesus Christ is the Savior and our purpose is to win others to Him. They didn't make any bones about it. And you see, we live in a day where people are trying to accommodate everybody. Well, certainly. You know, here in America, it's the land of the free because of the brave. And thank God that people can come here, hopefully legally, and they can come here. We don't have to agree on everything, you know. They might not even know the Lord.
But it's one thing for them to come here and to enjoy the blessings of living in America. And it's another thing for them to have a right relationship with the Lord. And, you know, here's what we face. We're somewhere like in 50-50, as you know. You watch every election, and it's almost 50-50. One way or the other, it's almost 50-50. And we know also that it's changing all of the time more and more and more over to the liberals. I said a while ago, it seemed like the wrong side is winning. You know, that, that's, that's the appearance of it. So what do we do whenever all of a sudden, all of a sudden we, when I say we, I'm talking about conservatives, I'm talking about, I'm talking about Christian people, whenever we, the things that we stand for, what happens when we get the short end of the stick and lose all of the elections and all of the laws that are enacted against us and what have you, Certainly we don't want to return evil for evil. It doesn't mean for a second we ought to take up arms and go out here and start a revolution. It doesn't mean that at all. It simply means that we need to get serious about our relationship with God and our responsibility to win others to Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Him as your Savior, I... I hope, I plead, I beg with you, whatever you do, don't leave here today without Jesus. Don't leave here without Him. This could be the most wonderful day of your life. I mean, this could be, this could be the moment of your freedom because, you know, we're celebrating freedom all across America to, today and for the next few days. But the greatest freedom is knowing, as Jesus said, that when the Son has made you free, you'll be free indeed. And He provided that freedom by the sacrifice of Himself on the cross at Calvary. Will you trust Him this morning? Let's all stand together. Father in heaven, how we thank You for what You've done in regards to our nation. We're so grateful for the wonderful privilege we've had of being born and raised and and, and being able to reap all of the benefits of living here in America. And we can't thank you enough for that. But Lord, we thank you even more for the fact that Jesus loved us enough to give his life on the cross at Calvary. He died to set us free from the bondage of our sin, to remove the condemnation that is against us, and to give us the wonderful assurance of heaven in our heart. And God, I just pray that not one man, woman, boy, or girl would leave here today without having that assurance in their heart of knowing that heaven is their home because Jesus is their Savior. And Lord, for those of us that have been saved, help us to focus on the most important thing in life. Help us, Lord, indeed to pray for our country, but help us to do all we can that we might be able to win our neighbor before it's eternally too late. Bless this service now this morning. Have your will in each of our lives, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing this morning, if God's speaking to your heart, whether it's about salvation, baptism, church membership, or maybe you just want to come and pray, I don't know. Would you come and let God have His way this morning? It's 300 and...